and welcome to the Vineyard Church Springbrook podcast from right here in Alcoa, Tennessee. We post our Sunday messages here each week and the occasional special announcement or series. You can visit vineyardchurch.us and select Springbrook from the menu to learn more about us or to access our audio archive. You can also subscribe to this podcast on Spotify, Apple, or Google Podcasts. And now, here's the episode. Hi, uh, I'm here with Aaron because we have a couple of things that we wanted to talk through real quick before the announcement video goes on. Um, but if you were here a couple of weeks ago, we talked about an exciting announcement that we have uh, for our church, and that is that we are moving buildings, which is still so exciting. Yes, yes. So we are moving over, if you were not with us, we are moving over to the intermediate school, which is the exact opposite side from where we are. Um, They have built a new building, like a new addition to the intermediate school, where there is something that they call a cafetorium, uh, part cafeteria, part auditorium. I said this last time, don't think about your middle school cafeteria when you think about where we're moving. Unless your middle school cafeteria was really great and smelled wonderful, then you can think about it um, because that's what we're talking about. Um, And so we are moving over there. The the schedule for that is as follows. Uh, We will have our first Sunday of our year. So we follow the church calendar here at Springbrook, which means that for us, the year begins with the first Sunday of Advent. And so we will start our brand new year in a new place, which feels like the right thing to do, right? So we will have our first Sunday of Advent in our new location, which is December 3rd. So mark that down. It would be really fun if we all came. You know, I know we like to come every other week, and that's fine. But like, what if if we all came just that Sunday? That would be fun. (laughs) I don't something new to try. Um, So uh, we would love to see you over there then. Um, But here's what we're going to do. We are going to, our last Sunday here will be November 19th. um, And then the next Sunday, uh, 18th, right? 19th, okay. The next Sunday, which is the 26th, um, we are going to not meet in person. We're going to be moving everything over to the new space starting on the 19th. And so we will not meet in person on the 26th. Uh, We will have all kinds of volunteer training and things like that over there on the 26th. We need to like run the band and see how that works and all of those things. So we'll give you an online version of church or if you're a volunteer, you'll meet us over there on the 26th and then we'll all be together on the 3rd. Make sense? Got it? Okay. Um, So when we talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago, I said that we would need to raise a little bit of money in order to make this happen. Um, And then I said we had to crunch some numbers, which we've been crunching, like big time. Uh, Not not me, because we all know that numbers and crunching doesn't go together for me. But um, we've been crunching some numbers, and so we have a budget for you of what we think it will take for us to get next door. Do you want to talk about it? So we have figured out our total number for um, that we're trying to reach to make this move really accessible for us, um, and that is $12,000. And so we want to break that down for you because that is a very large number. Uh, for kids, we're going to try and raise $1,000. That will help us buy things to make the classrooms feel like our space. Um, whenever I saw what would be our kids' hallway, it was like a breath of fresh air. It, it is 
going to be magical. And so that requires a piece of like making it ours. And so we're going to get rugs and we're going to get some new stuff for check-in and some new really cool toys to help kids experience their creativity in the kingdom of God. And so I am so excited about it. So we're trying to raise $1,000 for all of that. We, we've really uh, done our best with uh, toys that are eight years old. Yeah. That <laughs> our kids, like all of my kids have played with the toys that we have at this point and now they drive cars. So Maybe time for some new stuff, you know. Um, another thing uh, and uh, that I want to talk about is chairs. Uh, this is a really exciting thing. I told you two weeks ago that um, th- it was going to be an expensive move because of chairs. We actually were able to cut our budget in half um, because we found some free chairs, which who doesn't love a free chair, right? Uh, so the Maryville Vineyard uh, just moved into a, a, not a brand new building, an old building that they completely remodeled. And there were like a, a lot of chairs sitting in a trailer that just needed to be cleaned. And so uh, we went from needing like, I think, I think I, I can't remember if I told you all this. My first quote on chairs was over $20,000 just for chairs to not needing that much. So, which is really wonderful. So we will, we still will need 4,000 because we still need to buy a few chairs. We need to clean these current chairs, uh, get dollies in order to move them and things like that. So that's a really exciting thing for us that we were able to cut it so substantially. And, um, and they have cushions, not 30 year old cushions. So we're going to be living large. Looking nice. Um, Speaking of living large, we're going to have a lobby, y'all. And so like a place where we can be together and congregate. So another part is hospitality, signage, tables, all of that stuff. So the stuff that we need and use here, but multiplied because we're going to have a bigger space. And so some tables for us to gather around and be at and signs because, again, we're moving not far, which I think is kind of going to be the issue directionally. It's like, oh, we're all the way over there. So signage to help us figure out where to go and where we are. And then our last expense, um, as you can see, uh, is our, our biggest one, and that is for worship and sound. And here's the reason for that. Um, we have amazing stuff here, and some of it will work over there, but not all of it. We need to do some, you know, we said it's a cafetorium, and so we need to do some tweaking and some sound things in order to hopefully recreate what we have here over there. And I don't know if you are a professional musician, but the little bit I have dabbed my toe into the world of buying music equipment it's outrageous. It's so expensive. So um, this is just a significant cost for us, but one we think is absolutely necessary and one we're really excited about. Like I said, um, uh, my kids have played with all of the toys here. Brad Hitch and Daniel Mizell have played with all of the toys we've had, and we would like to get them, um, you know, things that work all the time, not just part of the time, but like all the time. This is the kind of stuff we're going for. So that brings our giant goal or our whole goal to $12,000. And so we want to ask you to think about two things uh, as our church. Uh, The first is, would you consider giving to this overall goal? Um, We keep saying big or huge. To us, this feels really big because we really do run things on a shoestring budget. Um, But in the grand scheme of things, this is not a lot of money to get into something that is going to work so much better uh, for us in our our current state. Um, But would you consider Consider doing that. Would you consider giving a, like a one-time gift toward the twelve thousand uh, dollars? That would be incredible. And Aaron's going to tell you how to do that in just a second. Um, but the second thing I would love for you to consider, if you're like, oh, I don't know about that, um, I'm more of a monthly kind of person. The other thing that we would like is, would you consider uh, what it would look like for you to either give monthly if you don't, 
or maybe increase by a small amount, what you give monthly, um, we, our increases will go up over there. I kind of explained this before, but um, basically we will be paying uh, an uh, Alcoa City employee to spend time with us on Sunday mornings. We were going to have to pay that here eventually. It's just going to be a little faster over there. And so our expenses with that and a few other things will go up and will be about 500 ish dollars more a month. And so we would love to increase our monthly giving also about 500 ish dollars. So if one person wants to do that, great. Um, but if more than one would like to go together, we'd be good with that too. So yeah, so there are a bunch of different ways that you can give. Um, one is there's an offering box right out in that little hallway, and you can put a check in there. But also, if you scan the QR code on the Connect card that's in front of you somewhere, hopefully. If not, we have some on that table in the back as well. It'll take you to our website, and it will take you, if you scroll down, you'll be able to go to giving. And on that, there's a drop-down button. I have it pulled up on my phone to make sure I'm giving you all the right information, um, where you can put in an amount and then drop down and choose Springbrook AIS Move. And that will go directly to this fund. Um, another option is that you can text in a gift. So you text MOVE and then the amount of money to, actually that's a lie. You're texting it to 84321. And then if you want, wanted to give, let's just say $2,000, you would text 2,000 MOVE. And that will go directly into this fund as well. Perfect. Um, if you also want to uh, look at your monthly giving or work on your monthly giving, you can find that in that drop-down menu as well. You'll just pick Springbrook and you can alter amounts. If you have any questions about the uh, logistics of money, uh, Johnny Williams is sitting in the back. Johnny, will you wave your hand? This is Johnny. He knows it all, guys. He's who's actually crunching the numbers uh, behind our scenes all the time. And he would love to answer any questions that you have. If you have um, questions about anything, you can find any of us um, and we're just really excited. Um, will you join me in reading our scripture? Uh, our scripture lesson today comes from Jeremiah 29, and we're going to read verses 1 through 14, and then Chris is coming out. Jeremiah wrote a letter from Jerusalem to the elders, priests, prophets, and all the people who had been exiled to Babylon by King Nebuchadnezzar. This was after King Jehoiakim, the queen mother, the court officials, and the other officials of Judah, and all the craftsmen and artisans had been deported, deported from Jerusalem. He sent the letter with Elasa, son of Shapen, Jemariah, son of the, that guy. Uh, and when they went to Babylon as King Zedekiah's ambassadors to Nebuchadnezzar, this is what Jeremiah's letter said. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have grandchildren. Multiply. Do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. This is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says. Do not let your prophets and fortune tellers who are with you in the land of Babylon trick you. Do not listen to their dreams because they are telling you lies in my name. I have not sent them, says the Lord. This is what the Lord says. You will be in Babylon for 70 years, but then I will come and I will do for you all of the good things I have promised, and I will bring you home again. For I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. In those days when you pray, I will listen. If you look for me wholeheartedly, you will find me. 
I will be found by you, says the Lord. I will end your captivity and restore your fortunes. I will gather you out of the nations where I sent you and will bring you home again to your own land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Lindsay. Good morning, everybody. Can you hear me? Is this thing on? I think uh, we always have to turn the mic up when I'm up here. I think I kind of whisper in the mic a little bit. I've been told... I'm overcompensating for uh, being raised Pentecostal and being yelled at all those years. Um, Just kidding. Hey, um, good morning. I'm really excited to be with you guys today. Uh, We're in a series of talks right now that we are calling Wilderness, where we're kind of exploring different answers to the question, is God with us? Last week, Lindsay sort of did an overview or a review uh, for some of you of something called the critical journey of faith. I have a slide for that, if uh, you want to put that up. Um, it's right here behind me. She, she kind of talked about how when Dave wrote that down for her on a napkin, it changed her life. What she didn't mention is that we met up a few weeks ago, and she wrote it down on a napkin for me, and it also changed my life. So that's sort of what this series was birthed out of, um, that conversation and the conversations we've had since where we're examining our critical journeys and the walls um, that we have in our lives together uh, as a staff and as a church. Um, And as I think about the critical journey and our wilderness series, it's hard for my mind not to go to the book of Jeremiah. Uh, If you've read the book of Jeremiah, first of all, congratulations. It's pretty long, um, pretty dark at times. Secondly, you totally understand why I relate this book to the word wilderness, and the question, is God with us? Um, a lot of metaphors comparing the, the body of Christ to uh, uh, bad things, prostitutes specifically over and over. You know, it, it's dark stuff. So, uh, The reason I chose this passage, though, is because I remember a sermon from Tim Keller on it about eight years ago, um, a lot of which I'm borrowing today. And to me, it seemed like the exact passage someone who finds themselves stuck in a wall needs to hear. Um, to give some context for those who haven't read Jeremiah, I'm going to give a quick little like, two-minute history lesson on the book, and then we'll jump into what it says. Uh, fair warning, if you have a coffee mug or a pillow with Jeremiah 29.11 embroidered on it, you're going to look at it differently after this sermon, I think, um, after we see that verse in context. I told one of my friends that I was preaching on 29 today, Jeremiah 29, one of my good friends, and he was like, oh man, I love that. I had Jeremiah twenty nine eleven as a screensaver for two years in college. And I was like, oh, sorry. So, uh, the book of Jeremiah. Uh, Jeremiah is a collection of works, poems, writings, and sermons from the prophet Jeremiah. It's 52 chapters, and the first 24 chapters is Jeremiah calling Israel out on their sin and idol worship. And kind of warning them that, uh, of the coming judgment if they don't change their ways. Jeremiah prophesies that the Lord will exercise his judgment by raising up a king from the north who will overthrow Israel, destroying their homes and their lives, and driving them into exile in Babylon. Uh, so for 24 chapters, a lot of judgment. If you can make it through that uh, light reading, you will arrive at chapter 29 where the warnings and prophecies are coming true. King Nebuchadnezzar is conquering Israel for the second time, actually. Um, Israel had already rebelled in the past, 
And so historically what they did with really unruly people groups um, or people that were just difficult to conquer, they would take their leading classes, their ruling classes and their upper classes, and they would bring them into their city in hopes that after a couple of generations pass, uh, they'll hopefully lose their own distinctive beliefs and assimilate to the Babylonian culture. So that's what we see in verses 1 and 2 happening. Um, The only problem with this strategy is that the Israeli people know it is what's happening. And so instead of settling into the city of Babylon, they have decided to settle outside of the city on the outskirts. Um, And this is the group of people that Jeremiah writes this letter to. This group of people who have been stripped of their homelands and their beliefs, and they're being forced into cultural assimilation. They've lost family members, friends, and children. By all accounts, if we're looking at their critical journey, they are in a wall, um, a pretty significant one. And while in that wall, I think we can study what Jeremiah says to them, because I think it's relevant to us today. He says, build homes and plan to stay. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, do not dwindle away. And work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I have sent you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, for its welfare will determine your welfare. Um, I don't know about you guys, but if I'm the Israelites, that kind of is, is not going to sit well with me. You ever had somebody give you unsolicited advice when you didn't ask for it? Um, it's kind of the worst. My wife is like, yes, I have, from you. Um, <laughs> He gives this advice to the Israeli people who, like I said, they are in a wall. Um, But I think what he says applies to us no matter what stage we are in our journey. So let's dive into what he says. Uh, The first thing is to live and settle in the new place. Uh, Don't just settle on the outskirts. Make Babylon your home. Make this place that's filled with people you disagree with or maybe even are your enemies your home. Dig in and take root. Um, And you know, it's really easy to make a place that you love your home, but I can just imagine they are mad, confused, saddened by this letter. They're living with their captors, and Jeremiah is telling them to make it a home. Um, My wife and I really like to travel, and we were fortunate enough to recently go to Italy, and it's safe to say that it was my favorite vacation of all time. I loved it. I loved the people. They were super nice. The food was incredible. I downloaded uh, Duolingo because I was convinced I was going to learn Italian in 10 days. Um, I I just loved it. Um, Don't ask me how many times I've been on that app since returning home because it's zero. But uh, yeah, I was talking in cafes and like this broken Italian by like the third day, just uh, embarrassing myself to all the locals. I didn't share this sentiment, though, with uh, the city of Paris when we went. I thought, and it might have just been my experience, this might be a hot take, Uh, it just was, the the people were not as nice, Uh, the food was not as good as Italian food. Um, And that, that seems like a really trivial story in comparison to what we're reading, but I think I can learn a lot about myself by looking at what happened to me on vacation. I loved Italy, and so I respected the people and the place. I tried my best in the very short time I was there to, quote-unquote, move in, to be present, to learn the language, to get to know people. 
Um, but again, Jeremiah's writing this letter to people knowing that they hate where they are. They're living in the city of their captors. So what about us? Um, what are the places that we don't love? What are the places we've been around long enough to, to kind of see the underbelly of and, and the new and shiny has worn off and we just don't like it there? Um, the people make us feel uncomfortable. The place makes us feel uncomfortable. Are we supposed to just get through the day? Um, are we supposed to just settle on the outskirts of the conversations or those rooms that we go into? I think the answer is no. Um, and I think we see that in this passage. It's really easy to see this passage as something that happened to a bunch of people a long time ago and write it off as irrelevant to our daily lives. That would definitely be the more painless route. Uh, but there's evidence here that, like I said, the story is speaking to us too. This word exiles that Jeremiah uses in the passage literally means resident aliens. The same exact word appears in the New Testament when Peter and Paul are addressing the church. <laughs> um, Paul says in Philippians 3.20, we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives and we are eagerly awaiting our, his return as our savior. We are resident aliens here, citizens of heaven. We're exiles. We're living life in what we call at the vineyard, uh, the already and the not yet. This tension of what Christ promises us for our future and what he's already accomplished on the cross. So, I think when we read this story in Jeremiah, we don't have to look at it as something that happened to a bunch of people a long time ago. We can read it as our story. I think we have to read it as our story. Um, so, if this is now our story, the next takeaway is in verse 7, where Jeremiah says, To work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Um, so now we have Jeremiah not only saying to settle in, Move into the city of your captors. Don't just settle on the outskirts. He's saying to take an active role in the peace and prosperity of the city. Uh, has he lost his mind? <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but when I read that, I just, I'm in a, a reel in my head of what all these people have been through. And, and I'm just, I would be asking the question, does he know what, what we've been through? That we've been stripped from our homes and our families? Does God know what we've been through? Um, this is where, for me, it gets really hard to be, for this to be my story. Um, this past week on Thursday morning, my niece was born. Actually, uh, my fifth niece uh, on Thursday morning. Uh, not to make that about me, but if somebody in my family doesn't have a boy soon, I'm going to do it myself. <laughs> my whole family is girls, and I love them, but my gosh. Um, Anyways, I'm sitting in the room and I'm holding my brand new niece, she's only a couple hours old, and my two-year-old niece, Maddie, she's running around the room and she's a big talker. Fortunately for her and us, my mother-in-law always engages her in conversation. She, she loves to talk to her. So um, if Maddie says things like no, she'll say, Maddie, say no thank you, and she'll repeat her, no thank you. Um, if Maddie says yes, she'll say yes, please, and she'll say yes, please. Um, but what's funny to me, and I think you guys with kids will probably relate to this, uh, we've never had to teach her or any of my other five nieces to say me um, or mine. Did you guys with your kids? I don't know. Uh, 
you don't have to teach your kid to say, my turn. It just sort of comes natural. Um, this desire to put ourselves first, to preserve our own interests. And that is what God is addressing in Jeremiah in this passage. He's saying that this desire to look out for number one, even when you have every excuse to do it, and even when it comes naturally, is not a kingdom value. Um, And how do we know that it's not? Well, because Jesus came, um, and he was an exile, a resident alien. He lived a perfect life. He had every right to say, me first. And what did he do instead? He lived a life of you first. Um, This feels impossible to me. Um, And I think, like I said, because it doesn't come naturally, I think this is why Jesus is always using the metaphor of marriage in the New Testament. Because being married or for the younger folks in the room, even having a sibling or college roommate, uh, it can be such a mirror into our own selfishness. Uh, for me, there have been plenty of times when I'm in a great place and I'm quick to apologize and things go great, but there are also times when I want to hold on to my right. I'm right. Uh, times when I, get, I have to get mine because if I don't, who's going to look out for me? Um, again, this just doesn't come naturally to us. So I guess the question I have when I read this is how do we do it? Um, Well, let me finish this verse. It says, as I already read, work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Second part, pray to the Lord for it. For its welfare will determine your welfare. So again, the question, how do we seek the peace and prosperity of our enemies? Well, we don't do it alone. We pray for it. Matthew 5, 44 says, but I say, love your enemies, pray for those who persecute you. And we can't love our enemies um, without praying for them. Naturally, this part of the story reminds me of the enemies prayer that we talk about a lot here at church, which uh, I don't know if I'm allowed to say this, but I don't like the enemies prayer. I think if uh, you say you like it, that you either don't know what prayer I'm talking about or you're lying. Um, It truly feels like it's never going to get easier to say. I'm just going to read it because we haven't in a while and it's, it's pretty short. It says, God bless, insert enemy, Um, give them success and honor above what you give me. Be in their plans and efforts more than in mine. Bless their relationships and help them to grow in respect and affection in the eyes of those around them. Give them greater wisdom and recognition than you do me. Give them a sense of belonging and support above what you give to me. Ouch. Um. Help them to participate more in the restoration of the world than I do. And always raise my enemy above me and help them to know that they are loved by you and valued in your kingdom. First, when you read that prayer, you're like, I hate that. uh, Because it's like, you know, God, you don't have to bless them above me. You can just bless them. (laughs) Um, You don't have to raise them up and give them greater wisdom. But when you're done with me, giving me some wisdom. If there's any left over, you can give it to my enemy. That's fine. Uh, that's kind of the first level of dislike. And then you, the more you pray it, the more you realize, man, I'm a really selfish person. Um, I'm praying this prayer for people who I don't even consider to be my enemy sometimes. I've prayed this prayer for people in my family. (laughs) Um, But then something happens. The words don't necessarily get any easier to say, but the more you say them, the less you see this person as an enemy. 
you start to just see them as a person. Someone who's working through stuff on their end, someone who in their own way is an exile, just like us. It's almost like praying for your enemy's works. Um, so in summary, we make, in life, we make the hard places our home. We seek the welfare of others above ourselves. We work for peace by praying for our enemy, even when those who despise us or would wish to harm us. Um, and if that sounds familiar, we're reminded in this passage that that's what Jesus did. Uh, easy enough. So, uh, as I wrap up, I want to close with our memory verse, uh, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. Just kidding. That was a that was a Bible drill reference. Uh, for I know the plans I have for you, says the Lord. They are plans for good and not for disaster, to give you a future and a hope. Um, doesn't this verse look a little different in context? This passage isn't saying it's all good and there won't be disaster. It's not saying the plans I have for you are coincidentally the same ones you have. Um, it's saying I know the plans I have for you and you really aren't going to like them for a while. Um, or maybe I know the plans I have for you and you're going to hate them. <laughs> Or maybe more on brand with the series, I know the plans I have for you, and they are going to put you in the wilderness. They are going to feel like a wall. But when we seek God, when we believe that prayer works, God says at the end of this passage, you will call on me and come and pray to me, and I will listen to you. You will seek me and find me. Um, for the past 10-ish years, I've been doing this ministry that a lot of people in this room love called Young Life. I'll talk about that a lot up here because it's been a big chunk of my life. Um, one thing that I love the most about the ministry is that you get to help high schoolers kind of navigate their critical journey, their walls. Um, and I think, well, maybe help is an overstatement, but you, you kind of get to bear witness. God lets you witness them exploring their critical journey, and it's, it's awesome. Um, so about eight years ago, I'm leading at William Blunt High School, and I'm taking a group of junior guys to camp uh, at this week-long camp called Windy Gap. And all week, they're hearing the gospel, and the speaker ends on the fourth day with uh, Matthew chapter 14, the story when Jesus calls Simon Peter out onto the water to walk with him. And he gets through the talk, of Simon Peter falling in the water and Jesus reaching out his hand and pulling him back up. And he asks the room the question, where do you stand? Uh, if God called you out on the water, what would you do? Would you just walk out with 100% certainty or would you have some reservations? Um, so later that day, I'm sitting under this big weeping willow tree on this island at Winnie Gap and just like this beautiful, incredible place. And I turned to one of my high school friends and I said, so what, uh, what percentage are you at? Are you at 100%? You would, you would step out if Jesus asked you to? And he said um, something so self-aware for a junior in high school that it kind of blew my mind and left me speechless. He said, uh, you know, I've made it my goal to have the most school spirit in high school. I show up to games early. I've cheered the loudest since my freshman year. But now that I'm leading the student section and people look to me, I realize that doesn't even matter. It does matter. High schoolers, it matters. <laughs> um, 
He says, so now I've started to do the same thing with friends and girls. I try to surround myself with people at all times to avoid this feeling of uh, alone. So, his words still, I guess if that doesn't work, I'll have no choice but to be 100% with Jesus. But for now, I'm at a solid 70. <laughs> um, and I said what all good leaders say because I know him and love, me, love him and he knows me. I said, well, man, I'll be praying that doesn't work out for you. So you'll be at 100%. Um, and I had forgotten about that conversation until we met up about a month ago. And he said, man, did you really pray that for me my junior year? And I was like, yeah. Um, and he was like, you jerk. That's the censored version of what he said. <laughs> and I was like, what's going on, man? He said, it happened. Um, and then he proceeded to tell me about this wall in his life. Um, sorry. But the crazy thing is, he said... I've been praying a lot, and even though I'm miserable, I've never felt closer to God. Um, and I'm not just making that story up. I have witnesses they can confirm. I know that sounds uh, too good to be true. But he is seeking God, and his promise is that he will be found. Um, it's still true. We can still lean into it. We still have hope that even when the wall feels tall, and we feel like we, we, we can never scale it. We can lean into the hope that God is with us. Um, so for Selah, we're just going to pause and reflect on where we are again this week. Maybe God is calling you to settle into a place where you really don't want to be. Um, or maybe you have a wall in your life that you decided you're just going to hold your breath and keep your head down until you get out. Uh, there will be a psalm on the screen. And if you're feeling brave, there will be some people in the back who would love to pray with you if you are. Um, I want to end with this quote by C.S. Lewis because, you know, I haven't cried enough up here. So you got you to gotta end with C.S. Lewis. Um, he lost his wife and he wrote a book about the grief that he felt. And he says this. God has not been uh, trying, oh man, I just, I lost my place, sorry. I think I deleted a word whenever I was in the emotion of it all. Um, hold on one second, sorry. Okay, there we go. It says, God has not been trying an experiment on my faith or love in order to find out their quality. He already knew it. It was I who didn't. In this trial, he makes us occupy the docks, the witness box, and the bench all at once. He always knew that my temple was a house of cards. His only way to make me realize the fact was to knock it down. So maybe today, um, maybe your wall needs to be knocked down. And maybe that's a really hard place to be, but... I just want to offer you guys the hope that when we seek God, when we pray, he hears us. He will answer. Um, so yeah, let's, let's enter a time of Selah together.
like I said, there'll be a there'll be a psalm on the screen, and then we will move into communion in a moment. Um, let me let me start our time by praying. Actually, God, thank you for this room. Thank you for this season of fall and this this beautiful weather we've had. Um, and thank you that uh, even whenever maybe it feels like we're in a place where we shouldn't be or don't want to be um, or where we feel stuck in a wall and don't know the next move, that you are there and you are just waiting for us to call out to you. Thank you that the promises you made to the Israelites centuries ago, you still make to us today. Um, You are Emmanuel, God with us. Would you just remind us of that this morning, wherever we are?